0: Welcome to Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Spock. And I'm
1: Scott Eisenberg.
0: And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. And it's Star Wars time again.
1: That it is. That it is.
0: And as we mentioned at the end of our episode last week, we're watching Rogue One, released in 2016.
1: Yes, we are watching Rogue One. It is the most okay Star Wars movie I think there is.
0: Yes, we did see this in theaters when it first came out. Yes. And I think the two of us were equally eh about the movie.
1: Yeah, it it is simply okay.
0: I remember being bored in the theater. Uh, It's pretty forgettable. I would say, and I was hoping watching it again that I would get a renewed, maybe improved opinion of it, but honestly, my personal opinion improved slightly, but not much.
1: <laughs> certain parts I liked it better, and then certain parts I disliked it more. It's kind of weird because I'm so in the middle of this about this movie, and there are so many people who love this movie, and so many people who hate this movie. Yes. It's another one of those movies that hits both ends of the spectrum, but not as hard as the last two of the Skywalker sequel.
0: Yes. Directed by Gareth Edwards, who was also the director of the 2014 Godzilla movie, which I never saw, but you did, right? Yeah, I saw it. Because you're a guy, and you're Godzilla, fire explosions, rah! Well,
1: I, I watched all the Godzillas when I was younger, so I kind of have a thing for Godzilla. I even watched the bad one a lot of times. I've watched Godzilla 2000 a lot. That's a lot of fish.
0: And written by Chris Weitz, who wrote such classics as Ants, (laughs) Nutty Professor 2, and more recently, the live-action remake of Cinderella, Uh, and Tony Gilroy, who wrote the Bourne movies. Okay, So So it's a mixed bag as far as the writing, but even more so because there was an extra $5 million spent alone on this movie in regards to script revisions and reshoots. So it's just kind of a hot mess in that regard. But specifically, as far as the writing, it's interesting the journey that this movie has taken because first and foremost... The visual effects supervisor for the Star Wars prequels, a man by the name of John Knoll, originally pitched the Rogue One idea 10 years before it even went into development. And then a man by the name of Gary Whitta, who wrote The Book of Eli and After Earth, he wrote a completed script, but then dropped out of the film, I'm guessing because of creative differences, because that's always the way, which led to Chris White's taking over. And also, fun fact, I don't know if you can call it a fun fact, but the script almost got punted to a Mr. Simon Kinberg, who was behind, again, such classics as Fan Force Stick* and The Dark Phoenix. Oh. So this movie got punted about quite a bit, and you can tell because the story overall is pretty muddled.
1: Yeah, it's it's a little messy, but there's a lot. There's still some good in there. It,
0: yes, there's it, potential in here, and of course, the Star Wars scores are always a a big point of contention. But unfortunately, this score wasn't done by John Williams, even though there are some classic Star Wars riffs. Yes. In there. This score was done by Michael Giacchino. He has done a lot of amazing scores, including the score for Inside Out, Jurassic World, Spider-Man Homecoming, Coco, Jojo Rabbit. And he's doing the score for the Batman movie that's coming out with Robert Pattinson as well. Which I'm excited about. I liked the trailer. The trailer looked good. I do love Batfleck, but I feel like Pattinson will be fine.
1: Uh, I think Pattinson has a better chance to succeed than Batfleck did.
0: Despite the fact that he's done a lot of good movies in the past like five to ten years, he always is going to have that stain of twilight on him. For some people, like, some people are never going to look past that. Just, like, the same with Kristen Stewart. Some people are never going to look past Twilight.
1: I think Robert Pattinson is a much better actor than Kristen Stewart is on any given day of any given week.
0: Anywho, um, I have to mention the Oscar love that this movie received. It was nominated for two Oscars in 2017. Lost both of them. It was nominated for a sound mixing and lost to Hacksaw Ridge. And, of course, because every modern Star Wars movie is, it was nominated for visual effects, but lost to The Jungle Book. Really? Yeah.
1: Jesus, The Jungle Book. Well, I mean,
0: that's like the only thing that that movie can pretty much hang its hat on is that the visual effects are really nice. I guess, yeah. I don't
1: know, man. I don't know that The Jungle Book compares to Star Wars and visual effects. But, okay, fine.
0: So we can get into the nitty gritty now. Okay.
1: We can get into the nitty gritty. We start with the
0: crawl. Da, 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 oh, no, 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 shit. We don't have a crawl this time. And
1: this was actually the first point of a lot of people's
0: contention with this movie. Which I think is silly. I mean, they were trying to set it apart from the main saga, Yes, that's that makes sense to me, but it's fine.
1: Well, I think the main reason they didn't do a crawl in this one is it's the the crawl from A New Hope. (laughs) This whole movie is the crawl from A New Hope.
0: Right. Well, I mean, (laughs) the events of this movie take place in the timeline in the days before New Hope starts. So, yeah, that makes sense, I guess. Like, we don't need a recap of what we already know. (laughs) Right. No, I get that. That makes sense.
1: But when we saw this in theaters, a lot of people were like, Where is it? Oh my god. Such a travesty. So we have no crawl, and we started off on a planet with a little girl running as a transport ship comes to land on this planet, and she's running to her parents. This is young Jin Erso, and she is running to her parents, Galen and Lyra. Galen says, take. Jin, to lira and get the fuck out of here
0: yes um i just want to mention galen urso played by mads nicholson he was one of my favorite actors in this movie and he is a very good actor he played hannibal lecter on the tv show version yes. of hannibal
1: he is a great actor usually wherever he shows up he's, yes he's been in james bond i think at some point Yes. He, he's
0: really good in this, too, I think.
1: He plays a lot of villains.
0: He does, yes. But in this, he's, he's a good guy. Even though he's his perception is that he's a bad guy, but in reality, he's a good guy.
1: Yeah. So he's trying to send his daughter and his wife to get away, and the main villain of this story lands and is walking over to him. And this is Lieutenant Krennic comes up to him and says, I need you to come finish the Death Star.
0: Yes, and funnily enough, he's played by Ben Mendelsohn, who also is an actor that plays villains a lot. Most recently, I think he was the villain in uh, Ready Player One. Well,
1: I didn't see that Ready Player One, so...
0: Yes, you did. You saw it in theaters with me and Mike. I did not. Yes, you did. I did not. You absolutely did.
1: I did not. Did not see Ready Player One.
0: Yes, you did. did you were there.
1: I was not. It was
0: us. Are you
1: sure? I am 99% sure I was not. In I'm this, like
0: 90% sure you were there. I was not. <laughs> this there. is so stupid. <laughs> we're not leaving this then. Okay. He tells Galen, hey, you got to come on back. Make the Death Star. Uh,
1: his wife decides, I'm going to shoot Lieutenant Krennic.
0: Yeah, she sends Jin off on her own, and she's like, you know where to go, right? You go into this, like, hidey hole, and you stay there until someone comes and gets you. Uh, so she gives her a necklace and sends her on her way, and then she heads back to basically try to save her husband, and she holds a gun on Krennic. They have, like, a bit of a standoff for a bit, and then they shoot her.
1: Yeah, they shoot her, and she gets a shot off into Krenick's shoulder. But she's dead. And Krennic's still alive. And then they take Galen to the ship. And they go, find the girl uh, who has now watched her mother. Because, of course, she did not go to the hidey hole.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no. She stuck around just long enough to see her mother get brutally murdered. And then she went to the hidey hole. She stays down there for an undetermined amount of time. Until someone shows up to save her. Someone by the name of Saw Gerrera, played by Forrest Whitaker.
1: Yes, who is an amazing actor who I feel was extremely wasted in this movie.
0: Yes. Well, I think because if you see the trailer for this film, which I vaguely remember, but there were more scenes with him that weren't used, that were in the trailer, that didn't end up in the final movie. So I, I don't know how much bigger of a role he originally was supposed to have in the film. But maybe there was more that was meant to be done with him and then they just kind of cut it for time. I don't know.
1: Well, he's kind of expanded in other ways. Like in uh, the video games, he's kind of developed more of a character. Uh, He helps free the Wookiees on Kashyyyk at one point.
0: Yeah, Saul Guerrero is a rebel leader, it seems, but as we move on in the story, he has As time has gone on he's become an extremist and even the rebel alliance don't really want anything to do with him
1: as billy joel would say he's gone to the extremes for everything it's always fighting it's always attacking he has to basically destroy the empire any way possible so yeah he has no qualms about doing whatever it takes
0: Whatever it takes, I know I can make it through that's a better reference, Degrassi. Let's stick with the Degrassi reference.
1: Uh, okay, you go with Degrassi. I went with Billy Joel before. Oh god, we're going
0: Anyway, um <laughs> So So after Saw Guerrero rescues Jin, we cut to fifteen years later and Jin Erso is played by Felicity Jones, who has been in a million things. She's she's a fine actress. Uh most notably, I want to mention, considering what just happened recently, she played RBG in the movie On the Basis of Sex. Oh, she did. Okay. And w- uh, rest in peace, RBG. Yes. God uh, help us all now that you're gone.
1: <laughs> oh, boy. We're in for a huge fight.
0: But um, overall, her character is kind of the crux of why this movie kind of falls flat, because... All of the characters that are introduced in this movie, and we'll get there, they have little quirks and little potentials in them, but nothing. The there's nothing really meaty to hold on to. There's no real development yeah. that you can sink your teeth into. So yeah, you don't really care as much as maybe you would want to.
1: It's kind of hard because you jump into these characters and you don't really know their backstory, but you kind of know how this all ends. Which also kind of puts, a, that put a slight damper on me when I first saw this movie. Same thing with like, when you walk into Titanic, you know how Titanic ends.
0: Yeah, true.
1: Even though Titanic's a terrible movie, but we'll get there.
0: I mean, a I haven't terrible seen movie. it in a long time. So I'm not going to say yes or no, but I remember thinking it was fine. Maybe we'll have to revisit that no, one
1: day. <laughs> no, no.
0: No! <laughs> so, Jin is in prison.
1: For some reason.
0: Yeah, they don't really address that sh- why she's in an Imperial prison, but she is.
1: So we cut to another planet called Jedha. And there is a pilot named Bodhi who is defected from the Empire under Galen's orders. And he needs to speak to Saw Gerrera. And he is being treated very poorly.
0: Yeah, they kind of jostle him around a little bit. And they essentially... They get him to Saw Gerrera And Saw Gerrera just holds him like a prisoner. Treats him like crap, basically. The whole time that he's with Saw Gerrera.
1: Yeah, so he gets... He's again taking the Saw. We now cut back to Jin Erso, who's being transported. Again, why? Don't know, but she is. And the transport gets attacked by the rebels. Oh yeah. And... They release Jin, and then Jin starts kicking ass, tries to run, and gets knocked out by K2SO.
0: Voiced by Alan Tudyk, who we discussed last week in our 42 episode, but this is kind of the exact opposite of that role.
1: No, he is the, he is one of the shining stars in this movie.
0: Yes, he plays the rather wholesome, funny, comic relief droid character in this film which i feel like all modern star wars film and tv shows they all have to have a wise cracking fucking uh droid character which i mean okay when we talk about solo which we're gonna do next month we'll talk about that fucking droid character which i despise like there's just always got to be like a comic relief droid character now
1: well i I guess because our two Even though R2 didn't say, like, words? Well, yes,
0: C-3PO was meant to be the comic relief character in the original movies, but but I would argue that he was the anti-comic relief because he was so annoying, I just wanted to suck back up any joy I had out in the air when I saw him on screen.
1: We seem to be made to suffer. It's our lot in life. But R2 had the sass. With his beeps and boops. R2 boobs. did
0: have sass with just beeps and boops. That's true. You know, so it, it works in
1: certain aspects. But uh, K2SO looks down the the knocked out Jin and goes, Congratulations, you're being saved by the Rebellion. Please do
0: not resist.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please do not resist. It's great.
0: And K2SO is a droid who is essentially owned by our next character that we meet. Cassian Andor, played by Diego Luna. And Cassian is essentially like the Han Solo type character that they came up with. That's also another thing, too. With all these fucking movies, there has to be a Han Solo type character. We had Poe for the modern trilogy. Now we have Cassian for this movie. We had actual Han Solo for Solo. <laughs>
1: uh, Yeah, Cassian gets introduced to us on yet another planet where he is finding out that Bodhi exists, he basically kills his informant and two stormtroopers quite ruthlessly.
0: Yeah, because I think that's meant to establish that. Because the informant, he's very erratic and like nervous. Like he's supposed to be on their side, but he's also very liability-ish. So it kind of just shows that, like, he's pretty ruthless, but he's also a rebel, so he's a good guy, but he's got an edge. I think
1: one of the things that is the most interesting that all the movies since Disney took over tried to do Mm -hmm. is they tried to make the rebellion seem like it's not as good as you would think after you watch the original trilogy. Because Last Jedi did it. Yeah. Cassian being so ruthless and so uh, willing to follow orders in this movie.
0: But he also, he does believe in the rebellion and he has all the warm and fuzzy feelings that come with the rebellion. You know, he talks about hope and he's been fighting for freedom and justice and all this shit. So so that's that's good. I I liked Cassian. It makes me happy actually that he's getting a Disney Plus series. Yeah. Because I feel like that character can actually be expanded upon in a cool way.
1: I think if you exp- like that's the thing is, I think a lot of these characters if you gave them with Cassian, with Jin, especially with those two, if you get stuff that expands on the two of them, I think it will add to this movie over time.
0: But then again, like there are movies that span over the course of a day, not even a full day, and are chock full of character development. So it really comes down to the writing, I think, as far as this movie. But I do agree that if they do expand upon them in future Disney Plus series or... Spinoff off whatever they end up doing, like, it could help this movie along.
1: Yes. So, now we cut back to the rebel base where the rebel commanders are running down Jin, basically saying, you're a criminal, we can put you back into a- the prison and not give a shit, or you can help us.
0: Yeah, because we know who you are, you're Jin, or so, and we need to get to your father...
1: But we also need you to get us a meeting with Saul Guerrera.
0: Yes. And Jin is essentially really only taking part in this on the off chance that her father is alive because they tell her about the pilot and that the pilot was sent by Galen Urso, allegedly.
1: Yes. She's still a little bit reluctant, especially because they put her with Cassian. Cassian walks her to her ship where K2SO is like, hey, do you remember me? I'm the one who knocked you out. (laughs) (laughs) And Cassian is taken to the side by the male general who tells him, we're not bringing Galen Erso in alive. You are to shoot him the moment you see him.
0: So that immediately sets up kind of the conflict between Jin and Cassian and also the inner conflict that's going to brew within Cassian because, of course, as this whole mission goes on, he's going to bond with Jin, and so on and so forth and, you know then he's like oh I'm just gonna go and shoot your dad now doo do to do.
1: we get some fun stuff with Alan Tudyk cause Jin has basically procured a gun
0: <laughs> she's like I found it
1: <laughs> K2SO's like why does she get a gun and I don't get a gun you're letting her keep it
0: would you like to know the probability of her using it against you it's high let's get going
1: it's very high so they go flying off to Jeddah, where Saw Guerrera is. While they're flying to Jeddah, Saw is now introduced to Bodhi. He is very hesitant of Bodhi, because why wouldn't he be? He's a militant leader. This is an Imperial pilot. He's not going to trust him. He takes what he has off him, which is a disc from Galen, and sentences him to a alien that basically messes with his fucking mind.
0: Fun. Yeah, and throws him in a cell and he just kind of rots there for a while. <laughs> so,
1: Cassian, Jin, and K2SO land in Jeddah and Cassian says that him and Jin need to sneak into Jeddah City, which is apparently this religious city that the Imperial Army is mining for kyber crystals, which are crystals that are- were previously used in lightsabers. But they say, K2SO, it's too dangerous if you come. We have to sneak in and... Be inconspicuous. Yes, inconspicuous. And it goes very wrong from there.
0: (laughs) Well, before things go really bad, Jin runs into this random fella. Uh,
1: The blind swordsman.
0: Yes. Chiro... Imwe, yes, I think is the character's name. That's another thing too. Like besides Jin and Cassian, I don't remember any of the characters' names. And like the only reason why I'm saying them even marginally correct is because I'm looking at my notes.
1: Yeah, uh, but
0: I don't remember any of them.
1: <laughs> uh, Chiro and uh, Baze. Yes.
0: Yeah, so Chiro is a blind Jedi swordsman played by Donnie Yen. And fun fact: it actually was his idea to make the character blind.
1: Yes. Uh, he is actually not a Jedi. He is a monk of the Jedi temple. He is not a Jedi. For
0: fuck's sake.
1: He's not a Jedi. How is
0: that not the same thing? He's not a Jedi. How is that not the same thing? He
1: is not a Jedi.
0: That's stupid. He's not a a Jedi. That's a stupid distinction.
1: I'm just saying he's not a Jedi. That's a
0: dumb distinction. I'm going to call him a Jedi. So (laughs) (laughs) Churro is... (laughs) I'm also going to call him Churro because that's what it sounds like to me. And I love Churros. And I love Donnie Yen.
1: Yes, Donnie Yen is amazing. So
0: <laughs> we just watched him recently in the Mulan movie. He played like the uh, general. But yeah, he, he was fine in this. He played a very monkish, blind dude that can fuck around with force magic and fight like a fucking samurai. It, it's
1: a It's a trope that's been used in samurai films before. It's another thing from Star Wars stealing from samurai films. Of the blind swordsman who can't see but can fight magically.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then we have Baze Malbus, who is basically Churro's, like, watcher yeah. and, and tank. That's true. <laughs> but he's played by Wen Jiang, and he's also he's a Chinese actor. He's been in a lot of Chinese films. But they're, like, our little uh, buddy duo in this film that kind of, like, has vague... Slight, minuscule homosexual undertones, kind of cute. They're very close.
1: Yeah, uh, it, very it,
0: protective of one another. So yeah, we we meet them very briefly. Cassine kind of grabs Jen. She's like, he's like, "Come on, we gotta. We're not here to make friends." And then they move along. Uh, and then before long, the fucking city is attacked.
1: Yeah, the rebels. Because yeah, uh, Saw's rebels are attacking the stormtroopers in the city. Explosions are happening everywhere. Cassian is shooting whoever he can. And K2SO comes and saves the day in like... I thought I told you to stay on the ship. You did, but I thought it was boring and you were in trouble.
0: The thing is, he's got a lot of good lines in this movie without being fucking annoying. They have a tendency, these comic relief droids, to go over the line of comedic and into annoying as fuck and just irritating but not this guy because you know alan tudyk is a gem
1: well i also think they don't overuse him
0: that's true they they don't they actually don't and he actually is like useful too i feel like the reason some of them are annoying is because they kind of don't really do much outside of just saying annoying things at least k2so is useful and funny but I will say about this little sequence with the gunfire and shit everywhere. This movie, like I said, it's very muddled. And I feel like a big part of that is that there's just so much fight scenes in this movie. That some And there's just so much chaos and a lot happening that sometimes you don't even know what exactly is going on. <laughs> I don't know. It's a lot.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely get that. It's just
0: fighting for fighting's sake, it seems like. And at one point, Cassian,
1: Jin, and K2SO get surrounded by stormtroopers. And then Donnie Yen and Baze show up again. And they clean house, basically. They knock everybody out or shoot everybody because Baze is a tank with a machine gun. After they cleared the area, then the rebels... Show- <laughs> then saw Yeah, us- then we get
0: another attack. but Like, it's just uh, constant.
1: And then Saw's rebels come back and take them into custody. Jin says, don't harm anybody here. I'm the daughter of Galen Erso. There's a very funny moment as they are taking Shiro. Uh, they have him on his knees and they put a bag over his head. He goes,
0: are you kidding me? I'm blind. Uh, that seemed like a sick y kind of line. Like That didn't seem like it would be a line that would come out of this like wise old Chinese man's mouth. It's like, really? I'm blind. do 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 do
1: Like, I don't know. It is a little cheesy. It is a little funny. There's also, well, this movie's full of them. There's a point, because I, I think I missed it before, where Cassian is talking about the rebellion, and Jin's like, I don't give a shit about the rebellion. Yeah. And Cassian goes, rebellions are built on hope. That line gets said, I think, three or four times in this movie.
0: Yeah, there's a theme of hope in this movie, which makes sense because this movie is about this group of rebels getting the Death Star plans and basically with that giving hope to the rebellion. So that makes sense that hope is a big theme.
1: But uh, it is also still very cheesy because, again, episode four is called A New Hope.
0: I I will say in regards to the overall tone of this movie, like it definitely did the job of differentiating itself from the main saga. It's definitely got a darker kind of grittier tone, which I appreciate, even though sometimes, you know, the movie, like I said, is a little messy, muddled, what have you. Apparently, Gareth Edwards took inspiration for the film's look from movies like Blade Runner Alien, and Apocalypse Now. That's what that's what he was quoted as saying. Obviously, those movies are all better than this, but I I will say I kind of understand the overall tone that he was going for, I think.
1: I guess. I don't see really any of those movies in this movie, but okay, sure. <laughs> uh, okay. I,
0: I don't get anything that you're saying, but I get what you're saying.
1: <laughs> uh, so we cut back to... The Death Star being finished, and we get our first shot of Tarkin.
0: Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And It's so bad, you guys. (laughs) I remember it being bad in the theater, and I'm sure anyone that's seen this is like, oh, that's, yeah, that was bad. No, no, no. You don't understand.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Tarkin takes control of the Death Star from Krennic, who has a hissy fit, basically.
0: Oh, this is my Death Star. I made it. Ugh. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty rough. But um, in regards to Tarkin, it it was oh god, because it looks like a video game. Yeah, which would be fine if this was a video game, but it's a video game character surrounded by real people, so it just looks so bad. It just takes you out of whatever's happening in the moment, and obviously. They used technology to bring the late Peter Cushing back for this role. His voice sounded good.
1: Well, yeah, because they have voice actors who have done the role.
0: Right. Who- so that sounded good. But yeah, the visual is and that's so good. And they could have very easily not done it. That's what I think is annoying about it. Well, the
1: thing is, when we first look at him, we're looking at him from behind, and he looks fine from behind. It's just the face. Yeah. Like you could have gotten away with him not even looking at Krennick.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because
1: he's the grand moth. He doesn't need to look at Krennic.
0: Yeah, even cuz in the when he first enters the scene, you see his reflection in the window of the ship. So you could have just did that if and, you wanted to. And he looks fine like that. Like But like this movie too, the thing about it is it does a lot of references simply for reference sake like in the first scene where the rebels are talking to Jenner so they have the whole scene where they're talking to her and at the very end of the scene Bail Organa played by Jimmy Smith who I love but he he just walks in the room for no reason and like a musical swell happens and it's like he doesn't even say anything he just walks in the room and it's like okay Granted, he has actual lines later on in the movie, but, like, why did you just throw him in the scene for no reason? Like, it didn't make any sense. And also, C-3 fucking P.O. and R2 show up again for no reason. Just little things just pop up, and it's like, okay.
1: Yeah. So, Jin and the crew are taken to Saw, who is having a conversation with Jin while everybody else is thrown into a cell. And so I was like, oh, Jin, it's good to see you. He shows her the message. We have a nice like kind of cry moment for Jin. It was Jin.
0: one of the best acting moments, I think, in the movie because I actually felt something, which was a sign of good things. I felt emotions. She's watching her father in this message and she's trying to keep it together at first and slowly but surely she breaks. And by the end, she's like bawling her eyes out. But essentially, Galen says in the message, I created the Death Star. I had to do it because if I didn't go with them and do it, they were going to make the Death Star anyway. But now that I'm behind it, I was able to build a weakness into the Death Star. He explains it's a weakness in the reactor and all the rebels have to do is get at the reactor and then boom, which I think is a really clever way of dealing with one of the biggest plot holes in Star Wars history that everyone's bitched about at one time or another, that, like, oh, well, they made this Death Star, but it's, you know, it's supposed to be this big planet killer, but it's just so easy to destroy it. But now it makes sense why that is. So I thought that was a really clever way to deal with it.
1: Yeah, exactly. It, it's definitely a clever way. Uh, while this is going on, Tarkin has decided to blow up Jedha City, to test the Death Star. They shoot the Death Star laser. Jedi City blows up like a nuke. And a giant wave of sand is coming. I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating. And it gets everywhere. Jin is like, oh shit, I gotta go get my friends. Uh, come on, Saul, let's get out of here. And Saul's like, "Ah, just go. <laughs>
0: yeah, and Cassian and churro and baze they also find Bodhi, the pilot and they grab him and they all get out so now it's the six of them and they're all a band of misfits and they're all working together
1: yeah Bodhi tells them that galen is on edu saw gets his nice little scene where he sits there and the giant sand wave comes and hits him like he's from the mummy (laughs) <laughs> it's, so, it's so ridiculous. He could be such a good character and just wasted. Ugh, okay.
0: So while our little team here is flying to Edu, they're chatting and they're kind of... This is the point in the movie where there would be some character development if this was written well, but it's kind of just a surface level like bullshit scene. They eventually do get to Edu and they're talking about what they're going to do. And I think... The main problem with this movie, and it's more apparent as we're with these characters more, is that there's really no chemistry between them at all. So when they're getting to know each other and then when eventually they are working together to get the plans for the Death Star and this and that and the other thing, you just don't give a fuck about them. You don't really feel much of anything. There is 10 bajillion times more chemistry and feels in the relationship between Jin and Galen, however, spoiler alert, that relationship doesn't last long in this movie.
1: Yeah, so during this time, though, the only real main thing that comes out is Jin tells the crew that her father built a flaw on the Death Star, but can't prove it because she couldn't get the hologram out in time. Cassian doesn't believe her.
0: Well, he he doesn't say that. He doesn't really say whether he believes her or not. He just tells her, like, what I think doesn't matter. You're going to have to convince the Rebellion.
1: So they get to edu They crash land. Cassian is like, okay, I'm going to go scout ahead with Bodhi here because Bodhi knows this place. Jin's like, I want to come. And Bo- he's like, no, you stay here.
0: Yeah, well, because Cassian's like, I'm about to kill your daddy. <laughs> so he goes with Bodhi, and they eventually find the base and they see Galen and Cassian sends Bodhi off to do something else because he doesn't want Bodhi around him while he kills this man.
1: Well, yeah, he sends Bodhi to go get a ship because they crashed their ship. Right. Uh, Krennic is on the planet because Tarkin figured out that if uh the plans got out, who could have sent them? Oh, the guy who built it. So Krennic is now on Edu to question the scientists but mainly Galen. While this is going on, of course K2 can't get in contact with the rebels who are now scared so they send a fleet to go bomb the shit out of the video because they want to kill Galen or K2 looks at Jin and says, "Oh yeah. Cassian had a sniper rifle with him."
0: "Oh yeah, that was really smooth there, K2." <laughs>
1: And of course, then you get Donnie Yen, who's like, yeah, he had a bad. He got a bad, he had bad
0: juju, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> yeah, much. I'm a wise old Asian man in a movie, so I can just sense things because I'm magic.
1: <laughs> so Jin goes running out into the storm. Cassian is trying to line up a shot. He kind of is hesitating.
0: Right. And then as he's watching, he sees Krennic lining up a bunch of the scientists at the base and being like okay which one of you sent the pilot out to the rebels and none of them come forward so he's like okay we're gonna shoot all of you now ready one two and then Galen just runs in front of them all It's like stop stop it was me Cassian is watching all this and he essentially is watching Galen potentially sacrifice himself for all these guys and Krennic does end up still shooting all the scientists. He is about to confront Galen. Then right before the rebel attack comes down on the planet.
1: Yeah, they blow up this base. Jin had snuck over there.
0: Yes, yeah, she's able to scream out to him right before, and like them looking at each other, even just for that second, is kind of like oh, you get a little, a little goosebumpies. And then in the Ensuing explosion that happens Galen is mortally wounded Krennic is able to escape uh, with the rest of the troopers and whatnot but Jin runs to Galen and they have their little reunion yes. which uh, I was probably one of if not my favorite part of the movie because I feel like it was really well done and yeah both of them acted it really well and then he he passes away Dies in her arms, and Cassian has to basically pry her off of his body. Yeah. Uh, so they can get out of this fucking planet before it explodes. Yeah.
1: Uh, Galen actually has a great line here where he's looking at Jin, and he goes, "Look at you. I oh, have so much to tell you." And that's his last. That's and his that's last... His,
0: yeah, that's his last words before he dies. It's really sad.
1: Uh, you know, because he hasn't seen his daughter in 15 goddamn years.
0: Yeah, it's really, ugh. See, but you feel things, though. That's the thing. You feel things. Yes. Spoiler alert, a lot of characters die in this movie, and you don't feel very much.
1: <laughs> yeah, so they get back on this new ship that Bodhi has procured, and Jin ha- yells at Cassian because he's like it's your fault they killed him he was just trying to save us all he built something into this Death Star to save us all blah 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 you're just like a stormtrooper just following orders and
0: Cassian does not like that yeah and he, he basically tells her listen you just stumbled into the rebellion just now you've been apathetic all these years and not giving a fuck I've been fighting this fight since I was six years old you know and he said you're not the only one that's lost everything so While they are in conflict, obviously, in this moment, there's also a connection between them because they were both kids that grew up in this life that lost their parents and their homes and everything because of the fight between the Rebellion and the Empire.
1: Yes. Krennic goes to, I want to say Mustafar.
0: Who knows? Who cares? (laughs) There's just another planet.
1: Where Darth Vader is set up base...
0: Da, 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 and
1: basically says, I helped build this, and they're like, and Vader gives him like this whole big spiel about how, you know, you were in charge of Galen Erso, and look what the fuck happened. Uh, go fix it. And he goes, I'm still in charge. And Vader force chokes him and he goes, Be careful
0: not to choke on your aspirations, director.
1: so we cut to the rebel meeting where everyone's all some of them want to fight some of them want to run some of them want to disband the rebellion uh Jin is trying to convince everybody that they need to go get these plans for the death star because if they don't the death star will kill them all
0: yeah but some of them don't really trust her they think maybe it's just a trap that galen has set but eventually they decide you know they're not going to go after the Death Star plans. They're just like, fuck you, Jin, bye. And she's pissed. But Bodhi is still on her side because he believed in Galen. The two of them are off on their own, and then eventually...
1: Well, it's not just the two of them. Uh, Chiro and Baze are also with them because why not? Why
0: not, I guess. I don't know. They're char- we've established these characters, so they have to be here. And then we get Cassian and K2 and a bunch of other rebels who believe Jyn and want to help her get the Death Star plans.
1: Well, all of them except K2, who's like, Cassian made me come.
0: I mean, what <laughs> else am I going to do? I am a machine, and I am beholden to my master. So <laughs> so they off they go. They steal a ship. Yes. And they call themselves Rogue One. Ah! <laughs> Uh, He said it! He said it!
1: They've gone rogue.
0: Yes, and uh, they go off to... Where are they going?
1: They're going to Scarif.
0: Because...
1: The Death Star plans are on Scarif. Okay. (laughs) Because that's just where they happen to
0: be. That's where they are. See, another thing with the more modern Star Wars movies, it's like we keep going to 50 different planets... Just just because. Yeah,
1: Yeah, we can eliminate at least two of these planets.
0: Yeah, like we don't need to bounce every fucking where every 10 minutes we're going to a different planet. Like it just makes it overly confusing, unnecessary. Anywho.
1: They get into the force fielded planet because the planet has a force field. They land and uh, they sneak onto the Scarif base and they have their group members who are going to cause a ruckus, but K-2SO, Jin and Cassian are going to sneak into the base. It's a nice, this whole scene is a lot of, there's a lot going on, a lot of shooting.
0: A lot of pew, pew, pew.
1: Yes, a lot of pew, pew, pews. While that's going on, it apparently gets back to the rebellion that there is now a fight on Scarif and the few people that want to fight decide they're going to go join the fight on Scarif uh so now we get X-Wings and Hammerhead ships
0: yeah I feel like the reason why this whole scene with the fighting and the ships and the craziness is it just falls flat because right before it like you get uh you know, the standard inspirational speeches from Cassian and from Jin. And in neither one of them do you feel a shred, a modicum, an ounce, a hair, a whisker of emotion.
1: <laughs> Everything I did, I did for the rebellion. And every time I walked away from something I wanted to forget, I told myself it was for a cause that
0: I believed in. Because that was worth it. I just don't care.
1: <laughs> you don't feel a whisker?
0: Not a whisker. Not a thimbleful of emotion. It's just like the standard inspirational speech. And because you don't care about the characters, you don't care about the speech, and you don't care about what's going on.
1: <laughs> yeah, so a couple of X-Wings get into the force field before the force field closes. Cassian is talking to Bodhi over radio, basically. He's like... You gotta get a message out to uh, the Rebellion that we need to get the force field open so we can send them the plans. So Bodhi, Baze, and Chiro, and the rest of them are trying to find this master switch, uh, which eventually they find to send to the Rebellion that they need the force field destroyed. Cassian, K2SO, and Jin find the records room where the Death Star plans are going to be held.
0: They're in the room, and... The room where it happened? Ugh. No one really knows how the game is played. The art of the trade, how the sausage gets made. We just assume that it happens. But no one else is in the room where it happens.
1: So, K2SO opens the vault where the files are being held. Sends both Jin and Cassian in there to go get the file. Jin gives K2 a gun.
0: Oh, yes, they have a, their come-around moment. Uh, you know, Jin gives K2 a gun as her and Cassian go off. And K- uh, K2 is like... Your behavior, Genesso is continually unexpected. And they have, like, a little, like, wholesome moment. So, you know, as soon as they leave, fucking K2 is gonna die.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: They're trying to figure out, like, the password to get into the death star file. Yes. And eventually Jin realizes that the password is stardust, which is significant to her because it was Galen's nickname for Jin as a child. So, it was a very very sweet like moment. See, even though Galen is dead, I still feel more <laughs> their relationship than yeah. any of the other ones in this movie.
1: <laughs> While this is going on, K2SO is now fighting off a horde of stormtroopers coming at him. Uh, he's doing pretty well, but he eventually gets overwhelmed and does get killed. But before he gets killed, he locks the vault and tells them, start climbing. Krennic breaks in eventually and shoots Cassian. Cassian falls as Jin keeps climbing. Well, yeah, this- we
0: think Cassian is no more, but spoiler alert, he will return.
1: <laughs> yes, he will return. Uh, Everyone's basically dead, but Donnie Yen, Baze, and a couple of guys, and Bodhi's like you gotta press this button so Donnie Yen while gunfire is going around him is saying his little pattern, mantra his yeah. little mantra of I am one with the force the force is with me I am one with the force the force is with me as he's walking across his gunfire is blasting all around him and he presses the button that allows Bodhi to send the signal to the rebellion that they need the shield destroyed
0: yeah just everything in this it just seems like it's overly complicated <laughs> But anyway.
1: The Hammerhead takes two of the Imperial Star Destroyers and crashes them together. And they fall and destroy the shield. Boom.
0: And then right after the signal gets sent up and they're trying to destroy the shield, immediately a grenade gets thrown into Bodhi's ship and he dies. And then Churro gets shot and... Baze runs over to him and is like holding him in his arms and he dies in his arms. And again, feel nothing. Uh, and then Baze goes off and fights and then he gets blowed up. So do you feel more
1: in here or in Predator when Jesse Ventura dies?
0: Oh, I, f- I feel it more in Predator because the relationship between Jesse Ventura and his friend slash lover in that movie are just so, it's just so much more like developed and strong even though I'm not a big fan of Predator but yeah no
1: I I felt the heartbreak go listen to our (laughs) review of Predator um
0: they're in love damn it
1: (laughs) so Baze yes now takes up the mantra of I am one with the force the force is with me he's killing stormtroopers but he eventually gets shot down too
0: the thing is like you have a movie where all your characters are gonna die so i would think you would want to make your characters so developed so beloved that like it fucking destroys the audience when these characters die but like that didn't happen you could make us care writers okay make us cry There's dead people everywhere. People fucking, you know, I mean, obviously he's more developed, but I've seen people cry in Star Wars movies when Han Solo died in Force Awakens. I heard many a tears flowing in the theater. It could happen. Yeah. Make it happen.
1: <laughs> yeah, you definitely had to flush these characters out a bit more
0: just for us. Because even when K2SO gets overpowered by the stormtroopers and- gets shot and eventually dies. I don't feel... I feel like... I literally s- did an audible, Oh, and that was it. <laughs> so, so we got a whisker for that one. I That was a whisker. But d- other than that, nothing. And that's Alan Tudyk. Yes. I mean, we discussed Alan Tudyk last week, how wonderful he is. He is. I mean, come on now.
1: Yeah, that's true. Alan Tudyk is a wonderful man.
0: You kill Alan Tudyk in your movie and I get but a whisker? I know it's but a whisper. I'm saying whisker, okay? <laughs> Leave me alone.
1: <laughs> oh, God. So Jin climbs to the top of the Scarif base where she is confronted by Krennic. She goes, you've lost Krennic. I have the plans. They're going to get sent out in a second. And Krennic's like, ha, that's ridiculous. I haven't lost yet. And he goes, who the fuck are you? she goes, I'm Jin Erso.
0: And it's funny, too. I want to mention that she says you can't win because when Lyra, Jin's mom, right before she was shot, that was her last words to Krennic, you can't win. And then he shot her. And then right before Galen died, he also said the same thing to Krennic, you can't win. And Krennic was like, where have I heard that before? Ooh. So the fact that she's saying that, it's pretty foreboding for her. But right at the last minute, as Krennic is about to kill Jin, he gets shot in the back by none other than Cassian. Oh, my God. Saving the day. He came through the crowd. What?
1: Uh, wrestling reference when like somebody sneaks in through the crowd and attacks uh, somebody.
0: I will say, though, when even though I knew Cassian was alive, when he did fall, originally, I did feel a little, maybe half a whisker. And then when he came back, I got excited. I was like, oh, yeah, there you go. So now they're able to get the Death Star plans out into the rebel ships. They've, they've got it now. Hooray, hurrah. Yes.
1: While that happens, Vader shows up in his Imperial Star Destroyer. And also the Death Star shows up. Tarkin says, target Scarif base and blow it the fuck up. Oh, shit. (laughs) So, Jin and Cassian, now the only ones left, get themselves down the giant tower somehow with Cassian being mortally wounded.
0: Right. Well, this scene, this ending kind of scene with Scarif getting slowly but surely destroyed is a really well-done scene visually. The score is really great here because, yeah, they kind of hobble down to the edge of the beach because that's what Scarif is it's a beach planet okay but it looks really cool and they're kind of getting overtaken slowly but surely by this big glob of light and fire and Cassine says to Jin, your father would have been really proud of you what I didn't like about this was that they give Cassine and Jin this moment where they're kind of staring deeply into each other's eyes kind of like they're trying to shoehorn a slight romantic thing a little bit not really overt but it seems like they're kind of trying a little bit to shoehorn and then in, like when they're at the beach they're kind of like holding hands and embracing really tightly and uh, it just seems like they're trying to shoehorn a little bit I think that's more of uh it's
1: the end of the world as we know it and I feel fine kind of yeah, moment yeah
0: I get that it's the But even before that they did the looking in the eyes thing and I was like really okay so I don't know but yeah the last scene we have with Cassine and Jin they're embracing and they're enveloped in this white light and it looks really cool so I will give the movie credit for that for sure.
1: So yeah, Jin and Cassian are now dead. So- and
0: then we get like our kind of wrap up of the film leading into New Hope. We have Bail Organa, again, played by Jimmy Smits. He is talking to somebody and, and they're talking about Obi-Wan. They mention Obi-Wan and how they need to go find Obi-Wan and get him here because shit's getting real and we need Obi-Wan to help us. So he's like, okay, I'm going to send someone to go out and find Obi-Wan and get a message to him. And the other senator is like, you need someone you can trust. And Bail Organa is like, I trust her with my life, meaning Leia.
1: We cut to this is our last scene of the movie, basically, or second to last scene of the movie. We have a bunch of rebels who now have the Death Star plans that have been sent to them from Scarif. They're trying to run to this door. They're giving the plans through the door. like, open the door. The door won't open. We cut to the other side of the hallway which is completely dark and we get the red lightsaber.
0: It was a really cool looking moment and the whole scene is fucking great because Vader is like going to fucking town.
1: Oh, he slaughters the hell out of these guys. It's
0: wild as fuck. Playing devil's advocate though, it does seem like they put this in the movie simply because hey this is Vader and this is cool Vader really wasn't in the movie very much had nothing to do with what was happening up to this point but we want to put a Vader scene because Vader Vader is cool and while that is pretty obvious I will forgive it because it is cool
1: (laughs) well I'll only argue this movie is much more a Ground troop level movie. Like, if you think about it like a war, this is all the ground level troops. This isn't involving the generals, like, this isn't involving the Emperor, Han Solo, Luke, Leia, that much, Vader. They're all like the generals and the lieutenants of the army. The only big shot that gets shown is Tarkin, but this isn't meant to show those guys. So when they do show up, it's meant to be like, oh shit. The real powers here. Right. But yeah, Vader slaughters the crap of the people and it looks fucking awesome.
0: And then we lead right into the very last scene of the movie.
1: Which is Princess Leia being given the Death Star plans.
0: And the guy that gives them to her asks her, "What? what is this? What are they giving us? And we have a video game version of Carrie Fisher turn around <laughs> and say just one simple word hope that's that's our movie so despite the fact that carrie fisher looked like a cgi fucking mess it was nice to see her likeness in this movie especially since at the time when the movie came out she had died a week after the film's release so it was very fresh for everyone and being able to see her was yeah was a really nice homage to her Mm -hmm. I do want to bring something up that I read on the intranets whilst doing my research. I want to know your opinions because you did mention something about this while we were watching the film. Now, in the first draft of the screenplay for Rogue One, everyone dies except for Jin and Cassian, despite the fact that Gareth Edwards, who directed the movie, wanted everyone to fucking die from the beginning. All the heroes, he wanted them dead. (laughs) And he actually ended up speaking with Kathleen Kennedy about it because he wanted approval like to put the hammer down. Well, yeah, he he
1: didn't want to be fired for creative
0: differences. Right, well, exactly. (laughs) So she agreed, obviously, and gave him permission to kill off all the characters. So I want to know what you feel about that, like about all the characters dying, or if there was any possibility that they could have had some of them or all of them live.
1: It's, it's tough. It is very tough. It's tough when you make a prequel to any movie because you are so beholden to what happened in the sequel. Like, the reason, like, the prequels don't have as much of a problem with that because they take place years before, but this takes place days before A New Hope starts. So you are really beholden to A New Hope. If Cassian and Jin live, why are they never mentioned? Why are they... Because they
0: got blasted into another dimension that stops time, so they don't age at all. So now they get saved from the other dimension, and they come into the Star Wars world as Felicity Jones and Diego Luna, and they've been married for, like, a million years in the other dimension. But in our dimension... It's only been like 30 years and in the next spin-off movie that's that's the goal that's it's Rogue 2 and they find Jin and Cassian in this other dimension.
1: You just gave the plot to some of the worst video games <laughs> imaginable. <laughs> I actually think there's a game like that that's uh, involving dinosaurs that come through the dimensional portal but Oh uh, no, grass-
0: what is this Mario Brothers movie? Oh no. Daisy! Luigi? Daisy! Luigi! Daisy! Um, Luigi! But yeah, I think if any of them were going to live, I would have wanted Jin and Cassie to live because I feel like they had the most potential to be, like, really good expanded upon characters. But I'm cool with them dying, I guess. Again,
1: I think the issue, again, the issue is...
0: It makes sense, yeah. If
1: these characters lived...
0: Where have they been? Where were they? Yeah.
1: And that becomes like, the you can't be like, oh, they retired.
0: Well, wasn't there like a crazy theory that like all of them were actually in reality the Knights of Ren?
1: Yes, there was a theory that went around because at the time of, I think this movie's press tour, there was a picture that went around of the Knights of Ren. All the characters of the Knights of Ren looked eerily similar in stance and weapons held to these characters in a character picture. So there was a rumor going around that these guys might have been captured, tortured for years, and basically brainwashed to become the Knights of Ren. But then when you think about it... It doesn't really make sense. No, because Donnie Yen's gotta be 50 or so odd in this movie
0: right like they'd all be at least 30 40 whatever years older so they wouldn't be like young and spry like they are in this movie like so uh, it doesn't really make sense at all it doesn't make <laughs> sense
1: and well like also <laughs> Star Wars you kind of don't are they human are they alien like what's the aging process but that's a whole another story that I'm not getting into that's at this a whole point. other
0: can of worms kids Th- a whole other can of whiskers that
1: I'm not opening up right now um <laughs>
0: But um overall Scott, how did you feel about this film? It's fine.
1: It's it's okay.
0: That's that's literally I like I talked
1: to like somebody asked me like what's your biggest hot take on movies that you can think of right now like on Twitter literally today. And I said Rogue One is okay.
0: Yeah, I would also agree that it's okay. I will say that I liked it maybe a modicum, a whisker more than I did in the theater. <laughs> I, keep, I like this term, the whisker. I'm going to use it from now on.
1: We're going to put it on the shirt.
0: <laughs> but um, yeah, I still feel pretty much the same. I thought maybe I would t- put it up a tick in my... Well, actually, I think I did because before we watched this movie, I think I had it rated a two star. But I moved it up to a two and a half. It's like right in the middle for me.
1: Uh, I, I had it... I had it as a four I actually knocked it down To a three and a half Uh I probably If I Was given the choice I'd probably actually say It's a three point two five
0: Alright fair enough
1: But I am not given that choice On boxed.
0: Yeah I would give it like A two point seven five If I had that option
1: But it, There's Again There's some good parts I do like some yeah. Of the action mm-hmm. Um I do Again The Vader scene's Fucking awesome but yeah, the characters need some work. The story needs some work. There's a couple of cheesy lines. Altitude is hysterical.
0: As always, though. Except, you know, when he plays a racist baseball coach. Coach, <laughs> yeah. So that was Rogue One. Another installment of Star Wars Time is completed. It is.
1: As of this episode, we have been around a year.
0: Woo! Our anniversary. And by now... Our new logo should be up and running. We're excited about that. So hopefully we can maybe start doing merch at some point. Yeah. We couldn't really do the merch with our old logo because, you know, copyrightable characters. (laughs) But um, yeah, we might be able to do that at some point now. Um, But we are very excited to have been around for a year and to have the fans that we have and we just hope to grow even more this coming year yes
1: we thank you all very much for listening we really do thank you guys a lot
0: it's it's been really fun i really like doing this me too so next week i'm excited because it's october and you know what october means scott
1: does october mean eight
0: October isn't even the 8th month. I don't know what that even well, means. Well,
1: Octo is eight in Latin. It was supposed to be but the 8th. But it's eighth it's month. not the 8th month though. <laughs> I I know, but it, it,
0: October means <laughs> Halloween, <laughs> and Halloween means spooky time. It's spooky time. So, boo.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, what we're going to do for October um Last year we kind of fell flat with our Halloween episode. We really dropped the ball. We ended up actually doing Mamma Mia for our for our official like Halloween episode. And then we forgot and realized, oh shit, we should have did a Halloween episode and then did it the following week. So this year, this this go around, we're we're on the ball. We are on the money. We are on the spoopy time. We are gonna have a full blown spoopy month. Of spoopy movies. How many times can I say spoopy before I want to die? <laughs> so, next week, I'm going to be introducing Scott to a spoopy movie. And then the week after that is going to be Scott's spoopy movie. And then so on and so forth until we get through October. And I'm really excited about it because this movie that we're going to watch next week is an oldie but a goodie. It's, it's a staple, you guys. A Halloween staple. And I'm super pumped to watch it. <laughs> I,
1: I'm not sure how excited I am about it. You
0: should be very excited. I'm telling you. I'm your wife and I'm telling you to be excited. Until then, (laughs) this has been Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I am
1: Scott Eisenberg.
0: Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick. And check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for our scary, frightening movie adventure. I was working in the lab late one night When my eyes beheld an eerie sight For my monster from his slab began to rise And suddenly...